Well, welcome to episode 27 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. And this one is The History of the Misfits, part two. Yes, the long and dramatic saga of the Misfits continues, part two, History of the Misfits. Now, that snippet of a song you just heard was the band Wolfface live at Fest 18 playing the Misfits song, a cover of the Misfits song, Hybrid Moments. You've heard quite a bit about Wolfface recently on the podcast, and for damn good reason, they are an amazing band. I love them. Like, it, they are super, super duper great. Seriously, they have a new record coming out soon, and you need to get it. I've heard it. It's super good. It's so good. I do have a copy of it. I'll sell it to you if you for the right price. It's highly, it's going to be a, this is going to go platinum, I think. It's going to be huge, 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 I tell you. You know, after all, I mean, speaking of, you know, pirating and selling other people's merchandise that I have absolutely no right to whatsoever, we are about to jump into a whole podcast about shady and shitty business dealings, lots of underhanded stuff, and backstabbing galore. Yes, you know, just another day as a member of the band The Misfits. Yes, indeed. Uh, especially Danzig and Jerry. You'll see. Dude, yeah, shit gets gnarly in this one. It's rad. I like. I, I, I rabbit-holed quite a bit in this. I really did. Definitely went down into some places that haven't seen the light of day in many, many years. Um, there's a lot of lawsuits in this one. Like a surprising amount of lawsuits where it's like, do you guys just, every time you wake up, think about who you're going to fucking sue next? Like they're crazy. Dude. Yeah, you'll see. Oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very very excited to bring this one to you because there it is a very sordid sordid tale. By Wolfface's stuff, they have a rad rad Misfits, uh, Wolfface Misfits kind of ripoff shirt, dude. Yeah, it's awesome. And guess what? Guess who's getting one soon? This guy, me, Bob. You know, your friend Bob of the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. So yeah, uh, definitely look forward to a future podcast dedicated entirely to Wolfface. I've been talking to Michael J. Wolf of the band Wolfface. We are going to set up an interview here sometime in the future, for sure by Next Fest, which would make it very convenient because they're from Florida. It would make it very convenient to talk to them then. I'd like to get something out with them before then, it, You know, say when their new record comes out or something like that. would be good for them, be good for me because they're awesome, man. They truly are. Okay, moving on. Let's talk Misfits, specifically the post-Danzig years up to the reunion years that we're going through right now with Danzig, Jerry, and Doyle. And that reunion period started in the year 2016, continues to this day. And it might end pretty soon. We're going to see here, yeah. Oh, I got some info for you here at the end. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Ooh, that, that new, the kind of New Jersey is coming out of my voice. Oh, yeah, you know, the little Goodfellas bullshit thing that I throw in there every once in a while. Yeah, fuck, here we go. That sober, as of right now, at the very beginning of this podcast, oh, definitely sober. I just wanted to let you guys know that. That may be about to change, though. We'll, we'll see. So uh, here's what we're going to cover. Let me give you the rundown on this one. We're going to talk about Danzig and his various ventures uh, after the 1983 breakup of the Misfits from the Sam Hain or Sawen years through the Danzig solo stuff. That The Danzig solo stuff actually continues to this day as well. We will talk about what Jerry Only and Doyle were up to between 1983 and 2016 from uh, Christ the Conqueror, Jerry and Doyle's Christian metal band. Oh boy, that part's fucking spectacular. I can't wait to talk about that. Uh, to the Michael Graves version of the reformatted and reformed Misfits 
to Jerry's continuing pursuit of fame and fortune with his varying forms of the Misfits after the Graves version was buried. Haha, see what I did there? Good. Mm-hmm. There is definitely going to be a little bit of a focus on the Graves version, which honestly I loved. I loved that version of the Misfits. It's not the Misfits. It's like some weird caricature of the Misfits, I should say. I did love that band. I, oh, fuck, I love them to this day. They're great, even though Graves is a fucking nut job. But anyway, we'll get to that. That story, the Graves version of the Misfits, does definitely have its own sordid tale of woe and sorrow. We're, we're going to get to that here about halfway through or so. Uh, last thing we're going to talk about is the current version of the Misfits that reformed in 2016 for two reunion shows initially that apparently or appears to have blossomed into more and more shows as time goes by. And as of this podcast, they still have one more show left in 2019, uh, December 14th in Philadelphia. So, yeah, no, um, uh, no, no spoilers. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to spoil this for you guys because I have some uh, I have some inside information that may reveal that this could be this could be it. OK, I go. I, I already spoiled it. Yeah, I definitely already spoiled that. So uh, besides all this dirty laundry of misfits shenanigans, I'm sure you're also listening to this podcast to find out exactly what beer I'm drinking tonight. Well, I'm definitely not going to disappoint you here. Let's talk about that for a minute. Tonight's beer is from Plan 9 Alehouse, shocking, in Escondido, California, and it is Plan 9's California Nightmare. Yes, and I am revisiting this beer after spending a little time with it a couple weeks ago and i'll tell you why it's damn good it's a truly like it's a really good beer one of my favorite beers i dare say of the last several years for sure i mean yeah this is a good one california nightmare is a 7.3 alcohol by volume american style porter brewed with lactose and honey let me have a little sip of that real quick here Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite delicious. I, I would say that beer is about as smooth as Danzig's Bald Spot. Yes, that's a very smooth and tasty beer. Kind of a little bit of a sweetness to it that I really appreciate in a beer. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's good. So we're going to hear a little bit more about Plan 9 uh, midway through and the I Want to Party with Bob food special that they have going on right now for the entire month of December. So stay tuned for that, my fine listeners. Yes, I do appreciate you guys putting up with all my uh, wordiness here. That's but that's what I that's what a podcast is, is like people talking, right? I don't know. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Last thing before we get to the misfits. Now, the featured band of this episode with the the full song at the very end of the, the podcast is the illustrious eighty eight fingers Louie of Chicago, Illinois, with a cover of the Misfits song Night of the Living Dead. Now, that song originally appeared on a Misfits seven inch titled shockingly. Night of the Living Dead, wow, which also had the songs Where Eagles Dare, which we heard that insanely great cover by Sloppy Seconds in the Misfits Part 1, right? And the song Rat Fink is also on that 7-inch that was released on Halloween of 1979. The, the 88 Fingers Louie version of this song was released on the Hopeless Records sampler, Hopelessly Devoted to You, and that was released in 1996. Uh, the 88 Fingers Louie version of this song is fucking perfect. It's great. Yeah, it's so good. 88 Fingers Louie is a tight band. They're great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check them out. There will be links and all that good stuff. I'll, I'll talk more about it later for sure. It's perfect. They nailed that song. It's so great. It's perfect for this podcast. Thank you, Dan, 
for giving me permission to play the song. I really appreciate it. I didn't get a chance to get the answers back from Dan and Dennis of 88 Fingers via Facebook for a little bit more in-depth of an interview. I kind of put them on the spot, really, and did not give them a lot of time to get back to me. My fault, because I was rushing to get this done like an idiot, and I had all last week to get this going, and uh, I was just uh, lazy because it was Thanksgiving week and really didn't do much of anything. So sorry about that. I do have some more information about 88 Fingers Louie, which you need to hear. Now, 88 Fingers Louie formed in Chicago, Illinois in the year 1993. The name, you may wonder. I always kind of wondered because they've been around like since 93. I'm sure Tilt Wheel has played with them at some point, but they're definitely within our peer group. You know, they were all over the place in the 90s and early 2000s. The, the name, what the heck, what is the name 88 Fingers Louie? What does it mean? Well, here's the story behind the meaning of the name. There's a character in the first season of the Flintstones, episode 119, or it's actually episode 19. They just call it 119 for whatever reason. I'm sure there is a reason for that. I don't, whatever. That episode was titled The Hot Piano. There is a character in that episode named 88 Fingers Louie. Now, here's the basic plot of that episode. It is the eve of Fred and his wife Wilma's anniversary. Fred pretends to forget his anniversary in order to surprise Wilma with a very nice gift. Oh, what a sweet thing for Fred to do, right? So Fred and Barney go to a music store, and Fred decides he wants to buy Wilma a piano for their anniversary. But the music store is way, way too expensive and out of his budget, and his budget is around 50 clams. Clams, dollars, <laughs> get it? Ha <laughs> ha, Flintstones, you're so clever. You know, the Simpsons of their day. Um, yeah. The, uh, as, the de- <laughs> as the very dejected Fred leaves the music store, A shady character standing outside of the store calls Fred over and offers him a cheaper alternative to his piano needs. In fact, this character, whose name is 88 Fingers Louie, tells Fred, I got a hot piano for you, that he'll sell Fred for whatever he's got. Fred tells him, well, I got 50 clamps. Sold. Okay, so Fred buys this apparently stolen piano, and after a series of uh, mistaken identity crises involving the police and the cops think fred is 88 fingers louis the uh, hilarity ensues uh the end yeah very good that was a great episode i just watched it the other day because i saw that's where the name came from so i go i have the first season on dvd or whatever so i watched it it was great you know typical flintstones episode the first season of the flintstones is the best season though before all that pebbles and bam bam cutesy bullshit that came out except for the neighbors the weirdlies or something what i can't remember their names Oh, Creepella. Yeah, dude, that shit was tight. And that was like maybe the fourth or fifth season or something. But yeah, first season of Flintstones is tight. Okay, so 88 Fingers Louie, they do have a ton of stuff out. I'll post a link to their Discogs site and their uh, Bandcamp site. Check them out. They're super rad. So super, super thank you. Big, huge thank you to Dan of 88 Fingers Louie for permission to play that song. So where was I? In regards to the Misfits, where did I leave off? Oh, yes, yes, yes. On October 29th of 1983, the Misfits broke up on stage. The then-Misfits drummer was too drunk to play. That's never happened to me, by the way, in my entire career as a drummer, spanning almost 30 years. Oh, no, no. Uh, Except for, yeah, it's happened like five times, maybe ten. Anyway, that drummer uh, was too drunk to play, so the drummer of the Necros, the band that was playing the show with the Misfits, had to fill in and finish the show. Danzig announced to the audience at the end of the show that was the final Misfits performance of all time. 
And by the way, this was at the Misfits annual Halloween show that they would have in kind of different spots through the years. Typically, they do it, I think, at Irving Plaza in New York City. This time, it was at Greystone Hall in Detroit, Michigan. So that's that, right? Eh, Misfits are done. Well, as we all know, that's not the end. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here to talk about it, and I wouldn't have had such a wonderful experience exploring the rich and uh, very entertaining history of the misfits because for me it's incredibly educational and entertaining i love i love it i love this shit to the nth degree for sure this would be the end to glenn danzing's role as the main misfits guy for the next 33 years though basically so here's how i'm gonna go about this okay first we're gonna talk about what to what glenn allen anzalone aka glenn danzig was up to between the years of 83 and 2016 Anzalone, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of ring to it. Danzig is a much more, he rolls off the tongue, hey, glad Anzalone, you know. Well, if I was really, you know, truly a New Jerseyan, I would have a lot easier time speaking that name, I believe. Regardless, let's move on here. Uh, after we talk about what Danzig was up to between 1983 and 2016, we're going to move on to the subject of the Beef Brothers, uh, Jerry Only and Doyle, and the shenanigans that they got up to within those years, especially the Michael Graves era of the Reformed minus Danzig Misfits. Lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about the Reformed and original quote-unquote Misfits. That's Danzig, Jerry Doyle, and right now Dave Lombardo on drums of Slayer. Amazing. Yeah, dude, fuck, you should listen to him playing drums for them. It sounds so goddamn good. It really does. It really, really sounds great. Uh, Next up, I, I did want to say the Misfits do seem to have some issues keeping drummers, don't they? They really do. I mean, Robo, they went dude, they've been through a ton of drummers. But it, yeah, drummers are drummers are uh yeah, maybe not the easiest people in the world to deal with. I, I not that I know anything about that. Yeah, not me as a drummer. I I don't know anything about being hard to deal with. Oh no, no, I'm perfect. Yeah. I briefly touched on why Danzig broke the misfits up on that fateful night that pre-Halloween night. It was like the 29th, right? Didn't I say that? Eh, whatever. Fuck, it doesn't matter. Here's a quote from Danzig himself on why he broke the band up it was difficult for me to work with those guys because they weren't prepared to put in the hours practicing I wanted to move things forward and they didn't seem to have the same outlook so it was time for me to move on and that's via Wikipedia by the way who I did use Wikipedia extensively in research for this thank you very much people of Wikipedia there you go yeah it's very very helpful a great source of information it's the modern day encyclopedia. It's amazing. So there you go. Okay, so Danzig apparently wanted to be maybe a little next level, a little bit more serious in his band ventures at this time. Now, also, maybe a little bit more information. Um, in talking to BA from Sloppy Seconds after the last podcast, he gave me a little bit of information that, he, that his kind of maybe his opinion or something like that. But let me just tell you what he said. He wrote to me after that last Misfits podcast and said he had heard of Danzig saying something like, I just didn't want to hang out with those asshole football jocks blasting Van Halen and working in their dad's machine shop all night. <laughs> and that's, that, yeah, that that sounds about right to me. I mean, I think that's pretty much right on. And now, by the way, that quote is regarding the Boffo Brothers, the tag team wrestling combo of Jerry and Doyle, by the way. It does sound very logical to me. Uh, B.A. Off, he also referenced something interesting to me that I didn't really know about. 
a movie and a book called American Hardcore by Stephen Blush. I have not read that, but I should because it's got a bunch of stuff about like the old punk rock scene in the 80s and on and a bunch of stuff about the Misfits. So thank you, B.A. I just want to say that right now. B.A. of Sloppy Seconds. Incredibly stand-up dude. Thank you for the info. I owe you. If you guys do get to pa- back to California if I'm, or if I'm ever in Indiana, I will buy you the food item of your choosing and a beer. How's that? Okay, great. Now, regardless, Danzig, immediately after breaking up the Misfits, moved forward with what was originally going to be a side project while he was doing the Misfits with a drummer named Erie Vaughn. His actual name was Eric Stellman. That side project uh, side project was going to be called Sam Hain or Sawen. Now, by the way, Erie Vaughn, he's also from Lodi, New Jersey. Uh, Erie met Doyle, the guitar player of the Misfits, in high school at Lodi High, where he was introduced to the Misfits and punk rock in general. Uh, Doyle kind of got him into punk, got him listening to his band, The Misfits, because Doyle was 16 and in high school when he started playing for The Misfits. So, yeah, Erie had been playing drums since he was eight years old, taking drum lessons. So, dude's a ripping drummer. Yeah, it's interesting. I, fuck, I wish I had done that. I'd be, like, playing drums in Genesis or something by now. Something. I don't know. Something other than, well, I, I have a great time with Till Wolf. Never mind. Aside from my regrets, Erie did become friends with Danzig and he became the Misfits document- documentarian, I guess is the word I'm looking for. He was the band's official photographer, or unofficial photographer, I guess, in 1981. Now, Erie was in a band called Rosemary's Babies from 1980 to 1983, and he did get asked to play drums for the Misfits, but he said no, he wanted to stay in Rosemary's Babies. When the Misfits broke up, Sam Hain really got going. Erie started off playing drums and he switched over to bass, Danzig showed him how to play the songs on bass. So there we go. They recruited another Lodi High School alumni, Steve Zing, whose real name was Stephen Paul Greco, to play drums for the new band. So now it's, you got Sam Ain or Sam Wen, it's Danzig, Erie Vaughn, and Steve Zing, initially. Let me say, I'm going to just call Sam Hain how it's spelled, for the record, okay? Because honestly... People pronounce it so many different ways. Well, I guess actually, they're really only like two ways. People normally say it uh, three ways. People normally will say it Sawen, Sawin, or Sam Hain. I'm going to call it how it's spelled. That's how most people that I know say the name of the band, okay? Versus the correct pronunciation, which is Sawen. Of course, if you listen to the I Want to Party with Bob Halloween special, you'd know that. Sam Hain is a Celtic celebration that eventually became Halloween as we know it. Yes, you would have, and hopefully you did. Yeah, hopefully you did. High five to you if you did. Note also that when Danzig references the name, he pronounces it Sawin. Okay, there you go. I'm going to call it Sam Hain just to make things easier for me, you, and everybody. Okay, let's give you some interesting facts about the band Sam Hain right now. Now, that famous skull logo that Sam Hain and Danzig use, hmm, where did that come from, I wonder? It's a cool logo. I love it. I have a shirt with it, right? Here, I'll talk about that. That's from a Marvel comic called The Saga of Crystar, Crystal Warrior, and it's on the cover of issue number eight of that comic. Now, that comic, that cover specifically was drawn by the artist Michael Golden, who, by the way, I hope has gotten shitloads of royalties from that drawing because it sold thousands and thousands of t-shirts and many other things, I'm sure, right? 
that, like I said, I own a shirt. My son does too. We bought one for my son. So yeah, we both, my six-year-old kid has a Danzig skull shirt as well as I do. Weird matching shirt family. Yes, that's, that's okay. Knowing Danzig, I doubt he ever gave the guy a dime. And in fact, my research via a certain website called uh, Green and Black Music, uh, I'll post a link to that on the site, indicates that no, Danzig has never acknowledged Michael Golden or that he got the skull logo from Chris Star number eight. Shame, Danzig, shame. Typical shit, dude. I'm telling you, these guys are fucking shady, man. They really, like, I would never, ever go into a business dealing with any of the guys from the Misfits. Maybe Doyle. Doyle's like, seems like a stand-up, pretty normal, solid dude. Or does he? Wait, you're, we're going to hear some stuff there. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Fucking Danzig. Yeah, man. Shame, shame, man. Shame. Other Google searches I did, searching for, you know, did Danzig ever acknowledge? No, he never did. This Michael Golden artist fellow, he knows, though, that Danzig used that drawing to make all this money and for, for his logo because people have taken their Danzig records to Golden at Comic-Cons and stuff like that and had him sign them. And here you go. Oh, sign this for me. You know, I'm sure the first time the guy's like, what the fuck is, what's this? I drew this, but what, where, when did I draw Oh, that was that uh, horrible Star series. Wow. Somebody made a logo out of this? I'm sure the, the guy that handed him the record's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I have like five T-shirts at home, and oh, yeah, it's like the most popular Skull logo in the entire world. You know, I'm sure it's worth a million bucks. Guy's sitting there going, fuck me. Who, what, who's this dancing guy? Well, I don't know that that ever happened, but yeah, people will take their records to the guy and have them sign them. There's pictures of signed copies of that first Dancing Black album on the internet with his signature on it. Yeah, apparently, though, I don't know why neither the Michael Golden or Marvel ever went after after Danzig for anything on royalties on that or anything. They're really weird. That bears further looking into, I think. And I did a little bit. I, I couldn't trace it that down to anything. So, yeah, really weird. Now, also, the font used for the Samhain records was supposedly taken from posters for a movie called The Giant Gila Monster that was released in 1959. Now that, I will post pictures of that cover, that Chris Star number 8 comic, and the lettering from the Giant Gila Monster movie poster on the webpage. You be the judge. You know, as far as the lettering goes, it's kind of, eh, it's iffy to me. But, you know, Misfits uh, did tend to steal things more or less outright from... You know, as far as logos go, like Crimson Ghost, stolen from a 1940s serial, right? Uh, the Misfits font that was used for everything at some at a certain point. That's the famous Monsters font, or lettering, I should say. So yeah, you be the judge, check it out. Uh, you know, you can always reach out to me and let me know when I ask these questions of my uh, faithful listeners. Let me know, you know, what do you think? I'd love to hear from you guys. I really do. I love hearing from people who listen to the podcast, and I do get... Some pretty good feedback from time to time. I always super, super appreciate it. Good or bad, whatever. It helps me improve things and keeps me going. So, yeah, please reach out to me anytime. You know, Bob's door is always open. That's what I want to say here at the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. As any good manager would say, I have an open door policy. So, yeah, reach out. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Now, musically, Sam Hain is, is much darker more kind of gothy and a little bit more of a metal tinge to it than the Misfits, for sure. A little less on the punk side, though it's still, to me, it's solidly punk rock, but 
maybe it sounds a little bit more just mature. I think maybe, yeah, sure, why not? I love the Sam Haynes stuff. I've been listening to it all week. I listen to it. I listen to it pretty regularly now. I really do. It's fucking awesome. It's great. I love. It's right up my alley of that kind of gloomy thing. Like, oh yeah, like it's got that kind of dark edge, dude. It's good. It's really good. Check out. Listen to it. Listen to it on Spotify, wherever. If you want to buy a Sam Hain record or CD, you're fucking shit out of luck though, because that, dude. The cheapest, San, like November Coming Fire 3, the cheapest I can find that for is like 80 bucks. The CDs are like 50 bucks. Like, no, I'm not going to spend $50 for a goddamn CD. I'll just listen to it. I'll print my own goddamn copy. Oh, shit. I'm probably going to get sued by Danzig for saying that, I'm sure. Uh, speaking of records, Sam Hain put out the following releases between the years of 1983 to 1987. In 1984, the first record was Initium, and that was an LP on Plan 9 Records, Danzig's record label. 1985, they put out an EP called Unholy Passion, also on Plan 9. And in 1986, they put out November Coming Fire, or Sam Hain 3. That was a full-length LP on Plan, Plan, uh, pardon me, Plan 9, and eventually on Caroline Records. November Coming Fire is probably my favorite record out of all three. Three of those, more or less. We're two full lengths, one EP kind of thing. But you know what? The longer I listen to an idiom, like, that fuck, that record, sh- fuck, shit is tight. That is a good, good record. That record was recorded in Lodi at Real Platinum Studios, except for the very beginning, the intro. That was recorded on a four-track at Erie Bond's house. The intro's a little creepy. It's funny. It's kind of, you know, what it really sounds like, you got to listen to it. Just go look that Sam Hain. Initium. It's I-N-I-T-I-U-M. Initium. Right? I hope I'm saying that right. I think I am. The intro, it sounds like Glenn Danzig is channeling his inner Lord Humongous from Road Warrior. It really does. Really good. Yeah, check it out. It's on YouTube, Spotify, wherever. You can check it out. Now, little fact, another fact about this, the band Sam Hain, Lyle Preslar, the guitarist of Minor Threat, played guitar on a few songs on the Initium recording so did al pike who was the bassist for the east coast reagan youth great kind of a super groupy kind of thing yeah pretty cool pretty cool so otherwise in idiom was dancing on guitar vocals and keyboards once again keyboards dancing and his love of the electric piano erie bond on bass and steve zing on drums except the song art archangel which Danzig plays all of the instruments on, and that was recorded while the Misfits were still a band back in 1981. And Danzig's idea for the song Archangel? To have Dave Vanian of The Damned sing on the track, but it never happened. Uh, unfortunately, Danz- that's a great song, too. I love that song. It's really, really good. It would have been cool to have Vanian singing on it. I do love that guy's voice, but not Danzig. has a kick-ass voice. Great voice, I think. Some dude named Mike on an idiom played keyboard chimes he is listed as playing keyboard chimes whatever in the whole fuck that is i have no idea so good job keyboard chimist mike yeah by the way initium translates to english from latin as beginning which danzig states refers to his new start after the end of the misfits now on an idiom there's also a Misfits song that was re-recorded and rearranged called Horror Biz. Let me let you guess. I'll give you a second. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, eh, time's up. That is 
a redone version of the song Horror Business. Yes, Alex, that is correct. Now, after An Idiom comes the 1985 EP Unholy Passion, Danzig plays guitar, vocals, and keyboards. Erie's on bass. Steve Zing is on drums. And on the original, I'm sorry, on the original release only, that is Damien, uh, also known as real name, Pete Marshall, plays guitar. But here, Danzig with his Danzigisms. Danzig went back and re-recorded Damien's guitar in 1987 and some vocal tracks. All of the subsequent releases of the EP were thusly Danzigized, where Damien was not on the actual guitar player on those songs. That control Danzig is a control freak. I, I really, really think the guy is. Truly think he is. The last record, or last Sam Hain record of the period from 1983 to 1987 was 1986's Awesome and Amazing November Coming Fire. Like I was saying earlier, that is my favorite. I believe that is my favorite Sam Hain record, and it is a great record. It's gloomy, it's dark, completely right up my alley. Uh, that record has Danzig on vocals, keyboards, and drum drums. What, drums? Did I say drums? Oh, yeah, drums. Drums on five of the tracks. Weirdly enough, dude is such a control freak. My God. Uh, Eerie's on bass. Damien is on guitar. And drummer London May, he started playing drums for Sam Hain in 1985, is also on that record. All but five of the tracks, apparently. That was also recorded at Real Platinum in Lodi in the summer of 1985. Now, there's another Misfits redo on that record, November Coming Fire, Halloween 2, from the 1981 Misfits Halloween 7-inch. Let me just say, I'm getting a little bogged down with the history and the dates and all that, and we're going to run out of time to talk about the good stuff. We're a little over a half an hour in so far, so I don't want to bog you guys down too much with all these little minor details, the minutia, in other words. Uh, let me just wrap up the Sam Hain part by saying, not a lot of controversy really happened during those brief four years. And to sum up, uh, Sam Hain ceased to exist after London Bay was kicked out of the band in favor of Chuck Biscuits, which leads to talking about Danzig's band, Danzig, right? Sam Hain had a couple more records come out over the years. The Final Descent full length came out in 1990 on Plan 9, and then in 2001, a live CD called very unimaginatively, a Live 85 to 86 came out on Imagine Entertainment and Evil Live. Now, Evil Live was Danzig's label after he had to start that label after he was in a lawsuit. Yeah, here we go with Jerry only, and that forced the dissolution of Plan 9 Records, and that was in the year 1996. Uh, There's also a box set of Sam Hain stuff and a comp, a compilation, I should say, that combined Initium and Unholy Passion. Sam Hain also reunited a few times over the years with Erie Vaughn, typically absent. Hmm, there was a little bad blood because Danzig did say when they reunited that Erie was not asked to participate because he had slandered some of the participating members of Sam Hain. Yes, Danzig didn't want Erie to play in the band because he was talking shit about other members of the band. That's comes around, goes around, Danzig, doesn't it? Oh, it sure. Yes, it sure does. Sure does. Uh, no controversies, I said earlier, huh? Well, I'm starting to think, yeah, there is going to be a part three. Yes, there's going to be a dancing part three where I'm going to touch on some of these little controversies that come up that are so interesting and so typical of dancing, Jerry, and the rest of the Misfits. Yes, sir. All right, so Danzig, the band Danzig. 
1986, Rick Rubin of Def Jam, Def American. It, it, Def, it started out as Def Jam and became Def American. Um, he started kind of sniffing around Sam Hain and Danzig in particular. Uh, he liked the way Danzig sung. Now, Rubin wanted Danzig to do a solo project after he saw Sam Hain play live July of 1986 in New York City at the Ritz. And Rubin's, Rick Rubin's original idea was to form a sort of like a super group around Glenn Danzig. Danzig didn't want to do that. Like, he wanted to get all new musicians, like, kick everybody out of Sam Hain except for Danzig, have Danzig be the front man of, like, this kind of metal band and hi- get all these hired guns, these, like, you know, bigger players, and have this, like, super group because he thought Danzig was, a, like, a gnarly talent, which he, he was. I mean, Danzig's awesome. I think I love Danzig's voice. It's great, right? I've said that repeatedly. He is a very, very talented guy, kind of as shitty as he can be. He's super, super talented, right? So Ruben wanted to form the super group around Danzig. Well, Danzig said, okay, we can do that, but Erie has to come with me. Erie and him had been friends since the early 80s, right? So Erie has to come along for the ride. Word on the street, yeah, Ruben agreed to that. Now, word on the street after that is Danzig himself kicked Damien, the guitar player, out and told Erie, okay, I kicked the guitar player out. It's your turn. You got to kick out the drummer. So he had to kick out London May. Yeah, London didn't leave. London got kicked out by Erie Vaughn. And Erie Vaughn admits to that, but says Danzig made him do it, more or less. Ruben and Danzig recruited Chuck Biscuits. Danzig wanted Biscuits. Danzig said, he's my number one pick. If I, if I can choose what drummer I want, I want Biscuits, right? Biscuits' real name is Charles Montgomery, by the way. Now, Biscuits was in DOA, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, and more. And he became the drummer of the newly christened band Danzig. They started having tryouts for guitarists for the band. The very last guy that auditioned was a fellow by the name of John Christ, real name John Wolfgang Knoll. Ah, fuck, I, I am getting really sick of in these Misfits podcasts of having to give like, yeah, here's uh, Jimmy the Tool, uh, real name James uh, Smith Montgomery. Warden, you know, what the fuck? There's so many fucking stage names. They all have goddamn stage names. And it's going to continue on more and more and more as this thing goes on. Every single one of these fools had stage names. My God, I'm so tired of that. Like, I'm seriously getting tired of that. But I guess it makes sense, though, right? Because if the band was called Anzalioni or Anzalone, uh, that does not have the same ring as Danzig, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it truly doesn't. Well, John Christ's did not impress Danzig much, okay? Danzig is rumored to have told Erie Vaughn that this guy is a metal guy, we're punk guys, he's not going to fit. I don't want him in the band. John Christ really wanted in this band, so he left a bunch of messages on Danzig's answering machine of him noodling on his guitar playing all these Sam Hain songs. And the dude, what he was, like a metal guy. Okay, that won Danzig over. Danzig's like, okay, this guy actually, he's really good. Yeah, we'll take him. He was like the 20th dude to audition for the band. For They did a whole series of auditions in New York City with Rick Rubin there and everything. He was like the, the last and 20th guy, and finally they picked him after he kept bugging Danzig. So, yeah, there you go. They recorded that first LP, Danzig, on Deaf American. It was released in 1988 to very huge and great success. That I mean, have you ever heard the song, Mother? Uh, I have. Fuck it like a million goddamn times. I hate that song, man. I fucking hate it. And rumor has it, too, that the 
the whole band hates that song. They don't. None of those guys feel it's even close to their best song that they have to offer. And I completely agree with them there. Yeah, I really don't like that song very much at all. That record, though, that record is an insanely good piece of music put together so well. It sounds fucking incredible. I think it's really dry sounding, right? The recording, Rick Rubin was like at the helm and really like, he said, I guess he wanted it to sound like a Led Zeppelin record or something. So it's got kind of this like dry feel to it. But you know what? The fucking songs are super good. A couple of those were Sam Haynes songs too. Now listen to this. I bought that record in 1988, by the way, and I played the shit out of it when it came out. I was like, oh, Danzig. Oh, yeah, that's the Misfits dude or whatever. Let me check it out. I was like, oh, it's metal. It's kind of weird. Oh, fuck. No, this is fucking great. Yeah, I love that record. I like wore my record player needle out several times playing that record over and over and over again. I loved it. What are my favorite songs on that record? My favorite songs on that record are Twist of Cain and Possession, which, oddly enough, hmm, those are both Sam Hain songs. Yeah, that's pretty telling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Sam Hain. I love Sam Hain. There you go. So, yeah, that's a great fucking record. Now, the lineup on that record was Dancing on Vocals, Erie Vaughn on Bass, John Christ on Guitar, and Chuck Biscuits on Drums. They would go on to release in that format or in that you know grouping of, of people. They would go on to release three more full lengths, 1990s Dancing 2, Lucifuge. I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> let me repeat that. Lucifuge, which is, eh, it's not that great. 1992's Danzig 3, How the Gods Kill, which I've never heard, but supposedly is pretty good. And lastly, 1994's Danzig 4. Now, the band feels that Danzig 3 and Danzig 4 are, that's their best work. So I'm, I have to check those out. I didn't really feel like it this time around, but I'm going to get to it before the next one, because the next podcast is going to be have a little bit of a focus on dancing, okay, the next in the series of uh, dancing misfit stuff, so, yeah, but I guess for dancing 4, they couldn't come up with some weird, like, clever title, they were, I don't know, things were wrapping up for this version of the band, however, Biscuits was the first one to leave in the summer of 1994 due to a disagreement about royalty payments, money and dancing, here we go. Okay, that keeps coming up. That little pesky royalty thing seems to plague Danzig, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah, really? But do you think Danzig might be a little greedy? Oh, oh, there's a chance, isn't there? There is a slight chance. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Maybe he, Danzig, I'm thinking a better career choice for him. Now, keep in mind, I'm glad he's done the music that he's done very much so. I, I love, like, the vast majority of it. I really do. But... He maybe he would have been better off being like the CEO of a large multinational corporation because those guys are really good at fucking people over and completely getting away with it, aren't they? They sure are. Fuck America, man. Yeah, fuck you. That being said, about biscuits leaving over royalty uh, royalty disagreement, Erie and John both quit the band on July fifth of nineteen ninety five, citing communication breakdowns. Which, to me, I think that means they couldn't deal with dancing anymore and they were sick of him, pretty much. I, I, I started sifting through stuff trying to figure out, like, what's the real story? So that's why I kind of go, well, you know what? I'm, I haven't even gotten to, like, the second part of The Misfits, you know, or the, the second coming of The Misfits, I should say, which is kind of key to this whole podcast. Here I'm 40 minutes in. I knew I'd be at about roughly this point when I was scripting everything. I got, I got to do another one. So guess what, folks? I am going George Lucas on you. This 
Series of Misfits podcast has now become the Danzig Trilogy. That's right. This is episode two, Attack of the Jabrones. Um, thank you for listening. Let's carry on. There are a lot of interesting and dramatic things that do happen through the Danzig band years. We're going to get to that, okay? We're going to do another podcast, and there we go. So, yeah, take some pressure off you and me. You don't have to sit here and listen to me talk for three hours. I don't have to sit here and talk for three hours. So, there we go. It works out great for everybody. Yeah. So, part three is coming soon. Yeah, there we go. Um, enough about this. Let's check in on the Beef Brothers and see what they've been up to since 1983. I'm sure it's a whole lot of three Stooges level stuff, I would say. Yeah, really kind of the two Stooges. Uh, but first, here is a word from our sponsor, the wonderful, beautiful, uh, handsome, I should say, handsome, uh, Plan 9 Ale House of Escondido, California. Here they are. Santa Claus ain't coming to Mars. Santa Claus ain't coming to Mars. Santa Claus. Well, it's a good thing we're not on Mars, isn't it? Well, here on the planet Earth. We do have the gift of the I Want to Party with Bob food special going on only at the Plan 9 Ale House of Escondido, California. Let me tell you a little bit about that special. It is a buy one food item, get one food item for free of equal or lesser value. That's right. What a special, what a deal. Buy one food item, get one food item of equal or lesser value for free. Now, this deal does go on only until December 31st of 2019. So hurry into Plan 9 Ale House, located at 155 East Grand Avenue in Escondido, California. Their phone number is 760-489-8817 or on the web at www.plan9alehouse.com. Stop in, pay them a visit, tell them Bob from the I Want to Party with Bob podcast sent you, and you will be able to get that. Buy one food item, get one food item of equal or lesser value free. Alcohol is excluded from this deal. Good for first-time customers only, and it is only a one-time use deal. There you go. Stop on into Plan 9 and tell them Bob sent you. Hey. What's that sound? Back to Jerry and Doyle and their antics. Now, thank you, Plan 9, for the uh, kind words that you said. Actually, I did that. N never mind. Uh, but no, really, thank you, Plan 9, for being Plan 9. I do appreciate you very much. Uh, Jerry and Doyle, after the breakup of the Misfits, moved to Vernon, New Jersey, and started working at their dad's machine shop after the breakup. Uh, apparently, at some point, every member of the Misfits had worked at Jerry's dad's shop. A cheap labor pool, maybe? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's actually kind of cool because they'd go on tour, do like a tour, all come back. Glenn Danzig worked there for a time, I guess. You know, Doyle, Jerry, obviously. And they'd work in his machine shop, get paid, make money, you know, make money to buy shirts, buy stuff, you know, put on more records, yada, yada, go out on the road again. It was something to fall back on when they weren't touring. So kind of a cool thing. Now, I actually found this out. This is pretty good. I'm, I'm proud of myself here. Yep, that's me. Ah, Pat myself on the back there a little bit. The name of the shop is Congruent Machine Company of Vernon, New Jersey, owned and operated by a Mr. Gerald Kayafa. Yes, that's Jerry and Paul Kayafa's Kaiafa's dad, Paul being Doyle, of course, and Jerry being Gerald Jr. Kaiafa. Yes, indeed, he is a junior. Maybe that's where his complex comes from. I don't know. 
I, you know what? Here, I just want to. I do want to say this. I'm going to try really hard not to pick on Doyle much, okay? Because he seems to be. I, I read a lot about the guy. He seems to be kind of like a shy, quiet, and kind of a lovable big guy. You know, like a gentle giant, if you will. I guess. I think he just got. He follows Jerry around like a little puppy. You're doing whatever he can to make his big brother happy. Maybe. Let's see. Let's see where this goes. Uh, it is going somewhere, so you'll see. This is the good part, by the way. This is the part. This is like my favorite part of this whole podcast, except for the very end, where I learned something very interesting um, that, you, that I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, yes. So this is my favorite part of the podcast. And at one point in this part coming up, I will go off like a fucking crazy person. Trust me. Um, yes, definitely worth staying tuned. So stay tuned. So let's see, uh, Jerry, 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 yes. At some point, Jerry got married and had a child. He's starting to regret his days he spent in the Misfits doing this whole horror punk thing, right? Um, his faith in the Lord begins to grow and grow after the breakup. Yes, uh, that faith grew so large, Jerry felt he needed a way to express his feelings unto the King of Kings and decided the time was right to honor the Lord Jesus by forming a Conan the Barbarian-esque Christian metal band with his brother Doyle. That year was 1987, and that band was called Christ the Conqueror. Yes, Christ the Conqueror. Now, it was spelled K-R-Y-S-T, the Conqueror. That's spelled normal. One of the reasons why Jerry said he had that alternate spelling of the name Christ was because if he used the actual spelling of the word Christ, it would make it look like it was derogatory or something like that. They really fucking like what? What? What the fuck are you talking? What are you talking about, dude? Okay, yeah. Anyway, you named your band Christ the Conqueror. I mean, that's bad enough. Don't dig your hole deeper, Jerry. Uh, Jerry's stage name during this period, the Christ the Conqueror years, was Mo the Great, or he, actually. That's the short version. The real version was Mocavius Christ. <coughs> what the fuck? What in the fuck? Mocavius Christ was Jerry's stage name during those years. Like, I'm sorry, but what the fuck? What the fuck was he thinking? Like, how would anybody do that and go, like, this is a fuck. This is a great idea. This is exactly what I want to do. Mocabius Christ. Oh, God damn it. Oh, man. Like, oh, I read that when I was, I fucking, I, my neighbors probably think I'm insane, right? My studio, like, whatever is in my garage. And I, li these are like a series, it's like townhouses or whatever, right? So my neighbors are all right next. Dude, I was fucking screaming. I was dying when I read that. Mocavius Christ. What the fuck, man? You fucking lunatic fucking jabron, dude. God damn it. Okay. So, um... <laughs> God, Jesus. Uh, literally, Jesus Christ. Um, they, they formed their own fiend club, the fellows in Christ the Conqueror did, and they called it the Doyle Fan Club. And that was an attempt to steal listeners of the the still very much appreciated Danzig and Sam Hain, by the way, that, who were very well liked at the time. Nobody gave two shits about Jerry and Doyle. It, apparently, Jerry felt that what Danzig was doing with Sam Hain was satanic and evil. So, yeah, no, no, it gets even better than that. So the uh, the Chrysler brothers here, 
of Mocavius Christ or Mo the Great and Doyle start sending out letters to all the the little kitties in the Misfits Fiend Club, telling them, you know, all about the glory of Jesus and what it is to follow Christ. Oh fuck, man. Here's a direct quote, okay? This is from a letter to the fans that Jerry, oh, I'm sorry, pardon me, that Mocavius um, wrote himself. And I got this from a website called DangerousMinds.net. I'll post a link to this on the website. This is a, a direct quote from Jerry in a letter that he sent out to Fiend Club members attempting to get them to join the Doyle Jesus Club. In the final days of the second millennium, I, Mocavius Christ, and my men now swear this pact with God, for it is by his command that I now open the gates, unleashing the fury of his vengeance. Behold the power of truth, for it burns its light up the sword of my brother. Oh, okay. Gee, wow. Oh, boy. Uh, when people who knew Jerry, or Mo, as he is now, no Mo Cavius, uh, were asked about his apparent, you know, sudden and miraculous conversion to the Christian faith, they had some harsh things to say. Uh, my my buddy here, uh, Bobby Steele, my, one of my favorite former Misfits members, had this to say, and this was from a 1992 issue of Maximum Rock and Roll. Jerry's about as born again as Anton LaVey. Oh, God, I love Bobby Steele. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking 100% right, as you'll see here. So uh, also, yeah, Davey of Tilt Wheel fame, you know, internationally known rock star Davey Quinn of Tilt Wheel, you might have heard him about, I talk about him. I've said a few things about him. Uh, he told me, at being a member of the Fiend Club himself, I believe, told me in that he got a letter or knew of people who got him or something like that, that the bountiful, uh, bouncy, you know, bodacious brothers of, in Christ were sending out. They were asking people, members of the Fiend Club, to go to your local record store, let us know how many and which Mets, Misfits records they were carrying. Yes, they wanted to know how many Misfits records were out there being sold, which records were being sold, and uh, what kind of quantities were being sold. Oh, very, ah, fucking hot, see? Uh-huh, here we go. Jerry wanted fucking money. Jerry wanted in on royalties. So he uses this cover of this Christian band, you know, to infiltrate the mines or whatever. Jesus, what a fucking scumbag, dude. Yeah. Well, apparently dancing wasn't giving him any money, which I have, um, you know, I have my own opinion about that. We'll get to that um, shortly here, too, by the way. So who was in the band Christ the Conqueror? All right. Jerry. Oh, God. Mocavius Christ or Mo the Great on bass. Uh, Doyle played guitar. A uh, fine young man by the name of Jeff Scott Soto was the singer. Uh, and a... Uh, 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 a per I don't know the Merp, the M U R P was on drums. The Merp didn't bother going down that path. The Merp, I don't want to know about that fucking thing. Whatever it is, okay, great. Okay, now Jeff Scott Soto, uh, he, he he has a claim to fame here. He was Ingve Malmsteen's vocalist on the first two records of Ingve Malmsteen, and in uh, for one year he was the singer of Journey in the future, in the years of 2006 and 2007, between those years, or something like that. Yeah, wow. So, now, Soto only appears on one recording that Christ the Conqueror did, and that was, they recorded, I think, 13 songs. Yeah, they recorded 13 songs for a full length, 
but they only released an EP in 1989, and it was titled, that EP was titled, Deliver Us From Evil. Now, that full 13-song series of recordings is available on YouTube. There will be a link on my website, I promise, because it's fucking horrible. Um, It's interesting, though. Hang on. I'll tell you just in a second. Now, the EP only has five songs. Okay, here are the titles of those five songs on the Deliver Us From Evil EP by Christ the Conqueror. Thunder Thruster. Thunder That's strangely sexual sounding, isn't it? For a Christian band? Eh, they're confused fucking people, man. Uh, In God We Trust. Oh, uh, fuck. Can't get more cliche than that. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Exactly. Trial of the Soul. Hmm. March of the Megamites. March of the Megamites. What's a... Okay. Sci-fi. Spellbound. Ooh. Spellbound by that devil music that Danzig was playing. Probably is what he's alluding to. I don't know. Oh, yeah. So there is going to be a link on the website to all 13 of those songs. Um, I I will... You know, I have a I Want to Party with Bob YouTube page. Now, you should go check it out and subscribe. Just search I Want to Party with Bob on YouTube. There you go. That comes along with, you know, I posted a bunch of original videos of Tillwheel stuff and blah, 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 different things that I've filmed. There is also a playlist with, like, all the bands that have been on the podcast. I got most of them up there. I'm going to put that Christ the Conqueror YouTube thing on my YouTube playlist. Oh, it's fucking, oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Though, I will say... Some of it, very much, is literally the new Misfit songs. Like, there's one song in particular that's an intro, like, called Kong, some bullshit like that, on Famous Monsters. That's the very first song on the Christ the Conqueror record. Like, holy shit. Yeah. So that's, okay, this starts turning my heart against the second, you know, incarnation of the Misfits starts turning me against them instantaneously when I see it was this weird Christian metal band that they started, you know, because they apparently had nothing better to do working in a machine shop in New Jersey. It's a pretty shitty life, I guess. So yeah, boy, oh boy. So it is, there's one song that is literally a new misfit song. Wow. But with Jesus stuff going on and a hair metal dude singing. Yeah. And it's very metal. Um, it's not very good. And I could talk about Christ the Conqueror, for a lot more, but I'm not going to, well, well, a little bit more. Okay. The Merp uh, leaves the band in 1992, and in comes new drummer for Christ the Conqueror, uh, another fine gentleman by the name of Dr. Chud. Yes, Dr. C-H-U-D, Dr. Chud. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller is what Chud is short for, by the way. If you did not know that, you're welcome. Now, Dr. Chud's real name is David Calabrese. And he is also from Lodi, New Jersey. So now, look at what we have here. Hmm, interesting. The foundation for, and the, the foundation is in place for the reformed misfits. Here we go, right? Okay. Here's some information about a lawsuit that's very crucial here. And that leads up, we're, we're leading up to the lawsuit between Danzig and Jerry that, uh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Leading up to, a lawsuit between Danzig and Jerry, one of several, apparently, uh, was the Legacy of Brutality record that was released in 1985. Danzig had taken Static Age session recordings and overdubbed most of the songs in order to get out of paying past band members royalties. 
and Jerry was one of those band members. Jerry felt not getting paid for Misfits stuff was very unfair, so he sued Danzig for royalties. Now, Collection One and Evil Live came out in 1986 and 1987, respectively, and Jerry and Doyle were not getting royalties for either of those records, right? That same thing with Legacy of Brutality. All the Misfits songs were credited to Danzig as the songwriter on all the records, right? Jerry had a different opinion. Um, he stated that himself and Doyle had written 25 to 30% of all the Misfits songs and thus deserved compensation and songwriting credits. I don't really have a lot of details about this one other than uh, Jerry eventually ceased trying to get the past royalties and songwriting credits and settled for being able to use the Misfits name and imagery for a band that he could do, like, in other words, to reform the Misfits. Now, by this time, this is very, very crucial, like 86, 87, in those days, uh, by this time, Metallica had released Garage Days Re-Revisited, and that spurred a huge resurgence in the interest of the Misfits and their popularity, because they were really pretty underground up to that point, other, other than the, the punk rock scene and movement, however you want to say it. Really, the, the Metallica doing those two, they did Green Hell and Last Caress on Garage Days, which are fine, fine covers. So I like, I really like it. I and mean, I remember being like 17 years old, hearing them going, oh, holy shit, yeah, this is fucking great. Like, they do these songs better than the Misfits. Other than I like Danzig's voice better. But yeah, no, shit, it's great. Truly, truly great. So that's that brought on this huge resurgence of interest in the Misfits and their popularity, and especially that goddamn skull shirt, the Crimson Ghost logo. I mean, I had one in 1987. I bought one. Thanks to basically the Metallica record got me interested in the Misfits. You know, Kirk Hammett would wear the Crimson Ghost like skull logo shirt while they were playing live. Uh, James Hetfield, same thing. It really brought them into the spotlight once again. So and again, I love the songs on that record. So, so many people had that shirt back then. I'm sure Jerry noticed that and goes, oh, oh, what's going on here? Like, that's my band, you know. So uh, he decided to sue Danzig, right? Now, Danzig and the Only Doyle team reached a settlement in 1995 that allowed Only and Doyle to record and perform as the Misfits, but they had to share merch money. Uh, any money they made off of merchandise, they had to share that money with Danzig. Not sure the exact percentage. doesn't really matter that much. It's kind of crucial, though. That's where the real money was, I believe, is in their merchandising, right? That's because how many people have misfit shirts or whatever? Like, it's a pretty large percentage of the population as far as people who like, you know, punk rock and underground music, whatever, okay? Um, that's where the real money was, I'm sure. Now, how do I feel about it? This is, it's, I'm glad you asked. I really am glad that you asked. I think even though Danzig did write most all the misfits' music, the right thing to do would have been to pay the past members of the band the royalties from the records that they played on specifically. Like anything Bobby Steele played on, played on, uh, pay the guy, right? Jerry only. I mean, for God's sakes, he really, he was a member of the band from day one, more or less. I, he's an original founding member of the band, essentially. Fucking Danzig, pay the guy. I mean, really, it's not that much money. I'm sure it wasn't that much money, but it was something, you know. And it would have saved all this hassle of all this bullshit that'll go on. And you'll see there's even more coming up. That That's just not how these guys are. They're fucking, they're like, dude, they are 
scumbags in some ways money money wise oh they just chase that dollar you know like a little kid chases fucking easter eggs on easter in an easter egg hunt like it's crazy these guys are fucking greedy as shit so yeah i think plain and simple it's it would have been fair that anybody who played on a certain record give them the royalties from dancing he's shitty and weird about things like that though apparently it looks that way to me i've done a lot of research on this and yeah he is pretty shitty about money it seems like speaking of weird and shitty now that jerry could play in a band as the misfits and quit working in the machine shop and pretending to be a christian guess what's coming next oh yes the reform misfits okay strangely enough oh yes strangely enough right after the settlement of that lawsuit christ the conqueror ceases to exist and a new version of the misfits begins oh, funny how that works huh yeah, oh boy. So Jerry and Doyle did approach Danzig and say, hey, well, now that we can perform as the Misfits, why don't you come back and sing? Danzig, fuck you. No, I'm not. Nope. They approached Dave Vanian of the Damned. Will you sing for us, Dave? Nope. We, no, we're not. Okay. Well, along comes this kid, this 19-year-old kid, Michael Emanuel. He was a greenskeeper from Dumont, New Jersey. He was recording with a band that he was singing with, a band called The Mopes in Lodi, and the recording engineer told him that the Misfits were reforming and they were looking for a singer. And advised him, hey, why don't you try out for this band? You have a good voice or whatever, okay? So Emmanuel did. He tried out for the Misfits. He had to kind of cram for the this exam. He, he had to listen to a bunch of Misfits songs because he kind of really didn't know who they were. So he listened to all the collection two and Walk Among Us, got familiar with the songs, uh, recorded some Misfits songs from those records, and sent them in. And he got the job. Michael uh, Emanuel now became Michael Graves. And Doyle, in the reformed version of The Misfits, took the full name Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein. You had Dr. Chud on drums and Jerry only. And there's your new Misfits. The reformed, reformatted, repackaged Misfits. Yes, indeed. That version released two full-length records, 1997's American Psycho and 1999's Famous Monsters. Both records are... uh, they're pretty fucking great. I really, I I got both records when they came out. I really loved both records. And actually, it's really funny. I wasn't going to get American Psycho when it came out, but there was a record store that I used to go to. I lived kind of where I live now, and the record store was called Sound Asylum in Encinitas, California. I would go in there every week to buy a new record or whatever, and the guy was super cool that ran it. And if he got like some kind of like a promo or a demo kind of thing or whatever, He'd say, here, you want to check this out? So he gave me a CD of American Psycho, and I was like, oh, okay. And I go, fuck, this is pretty fucking good. Like, I really liked it. I really did enjoy it. So that, I did become very enamored of this new version of The Misfits. I really did appreciate it. So yeah, I thought they were both great. You know, in the time they were a band, they also released a collection of demos, covers, and a release stuff in 2001. That was actually after this band. But anyways, we're getting to that. That that record was called Cuts from the Crypt. In 1998, they also put out a record called Evil Live 2. That was a live record that was recorded at various shows between October of 1997 and March of 1998. And let me just say this again. I really I really do love this version of the band. It's fucking great. The songs are, are pretty good. Yeah, I like it. I do. I like it a lot. I love it even, I would say. But it's not the Misfits. No, it's not. It really isn't. I finally came to that conclusion just this week. It's really not the Misfits. It's a caricature of the Misfits. The Misfits, the, this band, 
they can't touch Danzig's level of songwriting, okay? They really can't. These four guys are good at what they do and what they did, but they cannot touch that level of songwriting, of song craft, however the fuck you want to say it, of the Danzig era stuff. I mean, he was a fucking master at writing songs, especially really simple, basic, like punk songs. Catchier than shit. I mean, these new songs are pretty catchy. They don't hold a candle to the Danzig era misfits. Plain and simple, period. Danzig does have like a magic touch. These guys just don't. They just don't have that Danzig magic touch. They really don't. They're good. Yeah, They're not like legendary. I think that's what I'm trying to think. That's the word I'm trying to get out. They're not legendary, right? They don't have that legendary like songwriting and talent, that ability that Danzig has. So there you go. You know what I mean? There you go. Okay. This version of the band does tour quite a bit while they're a band. Now, here's a little side note. Uh, my buddy Chris Kamasa actually worked on the Misfits Broken Down Tour Motorhome at his place of employment, which was Cummins Cal Pacific in El Cajon, California. Uh, he had to go into the motorhome, said it stunk to high heaven of B.O. because all their costume gear, all their like stage gear was stacked inside of the motorhome and stunk. It just made that thing just reek like a locker room, right? <laughs> Imagine what touring like with Guar would be like. Like, oh, fuck, they'd have to keep, like, all their shit in a separate trailer, I would hope. But, yeah, these guys just had all their, like, all their spiky shit, like, stacked all over through this motorhome, and it stunk like just a, the nastiest locker room ever. He said, yeah, interesting side note. Yeah, again, small world, too, right? So this band, yeah, they tour a lot. They put out, a, put out these records. They do a bunch of stuff until Michael Graves and Dr. Chud walked off the stage during a show at the House of Blues in Orlando, Florida, on October 25th of the year 2000. And apparently, they had had enough of Jerry, I guess. I don't really know for sure. Um, soon after this, Doyle also quit the band, as he had recently been divorced. He remarried, had a fourth child. He also had tendonitis in one of his elbows. And I guess Jerry was kind of floating the idea around of bringing Des Kadena of Black Flag on board to play guitar as well. Doyle didn't like that, so guess what? He was like, ah, fuck you, then I quit. So that leaves Jerry. The show must go on, huh? Well, let's see. Let's take a let's take a little pause here, though, and look at Michael Graves and his, uh, his antics real quick, shall we? Now, Michael Graves, as of December of the year 2019, he is a self-proclaimed libertarian. Now, way back, we'll go back a little bit. Back in 2004, he was a a contributor to a lovely website called conservativepunk.com, and he was also a very vocal supporter of George Bush II. Yes, yes, indeed. He's also a self-proclaimed patriot, and he believes that there is a cabal of radical left, collective-mind, big-money shadow organization spreading its evil claws throughout the music and entertainment industry. <sighs> Uh, yeah, he's a big gun and God guy. Yeah, big into guns and big into God, right? Okay. Yeah. I, I'll never know how those two fucking things mix together because they truly, they don't. They're complete polar opposites. These fucking crazy assholes turned into this like Reese's peanut butter cup of shit. You know, you know I, at this point when I was scripting, I said, yeah, I'm done talking about this fucking asshole, dude. I'm done talking about this guy because... He doesn't deserve any platform. He doesn't deserve any notoriety in my mind. My very first thought was, 
what going into this podcast like okay i'm gonna I, maybe i thought okay he's still out touring playing he's got some fucking stupid band i forget but he plays some of these older misfits songs from when he was in the misfits i thought well you know he's not really that popular of a guy anymore i'll reach out to him it'd be great to talk to him ask him a few questions and see what he has to say well that changed the second i went on his facebook page and saw all the alex jones clips and all of this other bullshit that the guy man fuck you know no no Oh, God. Yeah. So he he doesn't really deserve a platform or any kind of more notoriety than he already has. He really doesn't in my mind. But hold on. I'm not done because there is something very interesting that I did find on Michael Graves's Facebook page. Jerry and his lawyer have sent Mr. Graves a cease and desist letter regarding his usage of misfits related imagery and whatnot to promote his solo fucking circus act. Yes. Now. Mr. Graves posted a letter on his Facebook page, so good on you. That essentially has become public domain at this point, so I can talk about it all I want. Thank you very much. Uh, He posted a letter from Jerry's lawyer on his Facebook page. Like I said, it's a hornet's nest of just Alex Jones bullshit and all kinds of crazy batshit. Fuck, goddamn, like moron shit, dude. Moron. It's just stupid. It's completely stupid. Here, I'm going to read you a part of Mr. Graves' reply to this cease and desist letter that he got from Jerry and his lawyer. Your This is Graves, by the way. Uh, your lawsuit threat is as low as it gets, and so are the people you represent. And he misspelled R. He spelled it O-U-R, proving once again the point that no conservative on this planet has any fucking idea how to spell. Um, those people, Jerry only and John... Cafiero, now John Cafiero is the singer and writer of the classic Misfits song, I Want to Be a New York Ranger. Uh, Look it up. It's garbage. Know that I am the father of three young children, and I work very, very hard every single day to make ends meet for my family. I struggle like most ordinary people in this world do. I take good care of my family best I can. I don't, like your client does, have the luxury of expensive lawyers and lucrative properties and assets. So when you, representing Jerry Kaiafa, and he did not spell Kaiafa correctly either, once again, fucking conservatives need to go back to school, you dumb motherfuckers, threaten to sue me, it's pathetic and soulless because he knows damn well I don't have anything to take. And anything you do punitive to me would be an atomic bomb to my three children, whom I provide for, and who have nothing to do with any of this. Now, no, that's just part of his reply. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's fucking next level. I'm the victim shit that so many conservatives today are so fond of doing, calling liberal snowflakes. These guys are fucking like Jesus Christ, man. It's oh, fucking mind boggling. I'm a victim. Oh, you can't celebrate Christmas anymore. Fuck you. Dude, can't celebrate Christmas, my ass. Why? Because somebody didn't say Merry Christmas to to you, you fucking, like, weak piece of shit. Like, seriously. Like, get fucking over it, dude. You know, God, fucking, these people make me sick, dude. They fucking make me sick. I'm serious. It's so, that letter is so, like, I'm the victim. I'm the victim. Just shut up, dude. Shut the fuck up. Go do something original. Oh, you can't because you're a dipshit. There you go. <laughs> okay. Ah, that just really got to the core of the matter right there. You know, it's like they, it's, they want, they're playing these victims 
Oh, because the nasty liberals said mean things to them. And usually it's a case of somebody saying something, calling them on their shit, and they can't handle being exposed because they're fucking horrible people doing horrible things. Getting exposed to the light of day makes them look shitty, and they can't fucking stand that. And that's the truth, right? Yeah, some patriot, huh? Fuck. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, and patriot, that word, by the way, whenever somebody uses that word to describe themselves, you can be about 99% sure they're a total fucking asshole. I, uh, guaranteed, right? You guys know that, right? Eh, if you don't, maybe you should listen to another podcast. Uh, sayonara. Yeah. Well, maybe Graves isn't that bad of a guy. I shouldn't really go off on him that much. You know, it's just when people act like this, you kind of go, man, fuck that person, dude. Like, what the fuck is wrong with them? The facts do about the, the way he says things, the way he presents himself, kind of paint him in a pretty shitty light in my eyes. Now, people that work with the guy say he's an extremely nice guy, but his politics do suck fucking balls. Absolutely terrible politics, yeah. Let's get the foul taste of this guy out of our mouth and move on. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said earlier we were done with this version of the Misfits because we're not. I jumped the shark with that comment. There are a couple other interesting things that happened that I kind of got to later. Oh, and it's good. Now, the Misfits, this second coming of the Misfits, did make several movie appearances during their time of being the Misfits. A couple of Misfits tribute records came out for of all the original songs, the original version of the Misfits. And they actually became, briefly, a wrestling act in the WCW. What? Uh, what? Yes, they did. The band joined forces with the pro wrestler Vampiro and aided him in several wrestling matches. Yes, I am not kidding. And as I was typing this up on the scripting this, I was watching a wrestling match with the, mes the Misfits and Vampiro, Vampiro, whatever the fuck. Oh, my God. And there will be a YouTube video on the website of it because it is pretty good. Um, one thing to note, as the Misfits, this is kind of very interesting. As the Misfits walk up to the ring, the announcer's out there saying, Here comes Vampiro, Jerry Only and his Misfits band. So he actually said that, like, Jerry Only and his band, the Misfits, or something like that. Wow, okay. Ah, I see. Okay. Oh, yeah. Holy shit, huh? Now, it was it was really fun actually watching Jerry get smashed by the mulleted Dr. Death, who Derry, Jerry actually got into a cage match with, and Jerry got, like, fucked up during that, for real, too. Here, we're getting back. As with all things Misfits, things in the world of wrestling didn't really work out well for them because the Misfits absolutely cannot avoid antics and shenanigans and just doing fucking stupid things and anything that they do. According to Vampiro, the Misfits' time in pro wrestling ended when Jerry got fucked up really bad in a cage match with Dr. Death. And apparently, this is, apparently, this is great. Doyle stole Randy Macho Man Savage's then-girlfriend and manager, Gorgeous George, in real life. Yes, not part of the show, not part of the act. Doyle did steal the man's girlfriend. <laughs> you cannot fucking make this shit up. It's like sounds fake as wrestling is, but oh my God, yeah, he stole Macho Man's girlfriend. Um, Doyle and Gorgeous George eventually married in 2001. They formed a band called, together called, um, so original, uh, Gorgeous Frankenstein. Uh, they had a daughter that they named Boris. Oh, for God's sakes, <laughs> like can't fucking make this shit up. Oh, it's great. 
And then they divorced in October 2013. So uh, they were married for 12 years. A pretty good run, I guess. Huh? Uh, this version of the Misfits was like literally a circus act, literally a bad idea come to life. Holy cow. Well, what comes next? Oh, boy. Oh, I, it's like it gets so ridiculous. Like, I'm afraid to turn the page. I'm like, God, what is going to be? In a okay, well, this isn't too bad. I'm not even going to spend shit for time on this. So Jerry, as of late the year 2000, has no band anymore. What does he do? He's the hardworking, dedicated guy, right? He's got to do something. Ah, fuck, he gets a whole new band. I'm not going to talk about this because it is boring, I think, to me. Now, Jerry's going to sing and play bass. So he gets Des Cadena, formerly a Black Flag, on guitar, and Marky Ramone, duh, of the Ramones, on drums. They embarked on a journey that lasted in this lineup from the years 2001 to 2005 when Marky left the band. Now, interestingly enough, Jerry gets Robo back, Robo from the Danzig era misfits to play drums. He signed on to the good ship Jerry for five years from 2005 until 2010. In 2010, he was kicked out by Jerry for passport issues. Uh, okay, sure. Uh, they did some other stuff. They put out some records. Dude named Chupacabra for Murphy's Law started playing drums for him from 2010 till 2016. Blah, blah, blah. Who gives a shit? I don't. Let's talk about the reunion now. Yes, the reunion. Well, apparently in 2016, the stars aligned and the more or less original version of the Misfits did indeed reunite. The first two reunion shows were held at Riot Fest in Chicago in September of 2016. Rounding out this kind of OG lineup of the Misfits was Dave Lombardo on drums and some dude named AC Slade, uh, whose real name was... Emil John Schmidt the fourth. Fuck. I see why the guy uses a stage name. And yeah, I'm so sick of saying real names. Okay. Anyway, he plays guitar in some form. Because I'm not really sure if Doyle is actually playing his guitar or not. All he kind of does is like punch the fucking thing. So, and I said that in the last podcast, but you just watch some of those videos. It's like Doyle standing there, like bam, 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 bam. And it's this AC Slade dude actually playing the songs, more or less. So, yeah. These reunion shows have continued to the current current day. Basically, I mean, Danzig did say in an interview in June of 2019 that we are not going to do many more shows. Uh-huh, liar, liar, pants on fire. You did do a few after that. After that comment, they had, the Misfits did have at least six more shows booked with possibly no end in sight. I don't know. You know, supposedly... They're all getting along just great now. And, of course, uh, Jerry hopes they will release a new record. I do, too. Honestly, I really do. I like to think positively. Um, I, I truly do. I hope they do actually record a new record with Danzig singing. That'd be that'd fucking be great. Now, it won't be as good as the 77 to 83 stuff, for sure. But it'd be rad, wouldn't it? Now, speaking of butts, but... Did the stars really align for this reunion? Hmm. Let's let's take it a little deep dive and see what we find here. See, in 2014, Danzig sued Jerry. You know, the lawsuits continue with these guys over and over again. In that lawsuit, claimed that Jerry registered trademarks for everything misfits behind Danzig's back, causing him losses in excess of seventy-five thousand dollars. Okay. 
it's not that much money. I mean, it's a lot. It, well, it is a lot. But for as much shit as the Misfits sell, that's not that much money, right? Now, a judge did dismiss the lawsuit in favor of Jerry. The reunion appears to be a settlement from this case, okay? This is how that all worked out. Now, in the settlement that Jerry got out of Danzig, that settlement demanded that the Misfits reunite. Now, legally, in this case, the Misfits would have to be just, you know, Jerry only and Danzig, and they would have to play no fewer than 10 shows. And that would be to coincide with the 40th anniversary of the Misfits, which was technically in 2017. And they would have to split all of the profits 50-50, merch, ticket sales, etc. Anybody else that was involved with this, you know, reunited Misfits, Danzig and Jerry only, like, say, Doyle, would be considered employees of the band. So, like, on the payroll, essentially. So, Doyle, Dave Lombardo, and AC Freely, or whatever the fuck this guy's name is, technically, those three are all employees of the Misfits, okay? Yes, this is no... This is no goodwill and we're all buddy-buddy again. Now everything's fucking great. No, 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 no. This is Jerry only essentially forcing Danzig to play a series of reunion shows and make fucking bucket loads of cash, dude. That's all it is. It's Jerry won a court case against Danzig that Danzig brought to Jerry's door and Jerry fucking won. And in that case, Jerry saw the opportunity to make a shitload of money and said, well, guess what? Since you lost, this is what you have to do for me. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening. Now, my source for that info was a website called metalsucks.net. They posted all of the legal documents regarding the case on their website. I will definitely put a link to that up on my website for you to peruse and inspect. It's a very interesting document. Oh, God. How far they have fallen, man. That's all I have to say. Like, good Lord. Like, really like wow so this whole reunion thing it's all fucking sham dude it's the result of a goddamn lawsuit basically wow yeah my dreams just got shattered there <laughs> i'm just gonna start uh, i'm okay actually i'm not gonna cry over that as of this podcast they only have one more reunion show booked and that is on december 14th in philadelphia with dropkick murphys and agnostic front that's tight I'm not a big fan of Dropkick Murphys for sure, but Agnostic Front with the original Misfits, like, fuck yeah, man, that'd be a great show. I'm not about to shell out 250 300 bucks for a goddamn ticket to see any band play. I don't even care who the fuck it is. You know, it could be like Sam Cooke brought back from the dead. And, no, nah, I would pay 300 bucks to see a resurrected Sam Cooke. I'm sorry. I truly would. I'd pay like probably 500 for that. So, yeah. It looks like the Philly show, according to my calculations – is going to be the 11th show, okay? So they've already done the 10. They've already met the obligations of that this lawsuit settlement. They've already done the 10 shows. Now they're on number 11. Are they going to do more? They, fuck, maybe they really are. Maybe they're having a good time playing. Who knows? I would suspect, I would highly suspect that they're really, really, really enjoying just the fucking wheelbarrows of money being dropped off in their laps that they're making from merch and from every single show. Again, tickets average like somewhere around 200, 250 bucks per show. They're selling out every fucking show. They sold out like Madison Square Garden. Fuck, good Lord, dude. They are making just 
fucking cement mixers full of cash pulling up to Danzig's like castle dumping that shit off like they're like rolling into Jerry's dad's machine shop just hey where do you want all this cash you know uh Kayafa's oh fuck here we go yeah they're making a ton of money off of that so we'll see where it goes I don't know who knows they're on show 11 maybe they are having a good time we'll see where this goes I'll tell you what if it does lead to money Jerry and Danzig also will be hot on the trail of that cash rest assured Okay, well, that's it. Yeah, I'm done. Boy, that was a good one. Ah, under an hour and a half. So far, we got a song, though, so it'll be a little over. That was a lot of stuff. I'm glad. I, dude, I yeah, that was. I loved doing the research on this one. So interesting. The Christ the Cogger shit is fucking comedy gold. Oh, my God. Maybe we'll get a little more in-depth than that next time. I don't know. I haven't quite decided what you know. episode three of the Dancing Trilogy is going to be about. Maybe it'll be about, ooh, I have some good ideas. So I'll get back to you on that. We're going to see. We'll find out, you know, some more very interesting tidbits for you. Um, some good stories, I'm sure. Now, I do, I'm do. i calling it the Danzig Trilogy, of course. Though the focus has been on Jerry. I've talked quite a bit of shit about him, for sure. God, he deserves it, though. I'm sorry. Don't sue me, Jerry, please. I don't have a fucking anything for you to take. I really don't. <laughs> please don't sue me. Okay. But the reason why I'm calling it the Danzig Trilogy, really, I wanted to say this, that there is no Misfits without Danzig. He is the center. He is the focus of these episodes in his own way. I mean, it's just not the Misfits without Danzig singing and writing the songs. I'm sorry, it's not. Let me tell you, let me put it into perspective for you from from my point of view in one way. Now, try and picture the band Tilt Wheel, if you have heard the band Tilt Wheel, without Davey singing and playing guitar. If it was me, like... You know, our bass player, Maddie or something, and we got another guy to sing and play guitar. That would not be fucking Tilt Wheel, right? No, it wouldn't. It'd be a completely different band with members of Tilt Wheel playing in the band. That's what that kind of second incarnation of the Misfits was for me and for pretty much anybody, it seems like. All the opinions I'm getting is just that opinion. It's not the Misfits without Danzig. So there you go. Or here's another way to look at it. You know, I know there's a lot of Leatherface fans that listen to this podcast. Think about what would Leatherface be like without Frankie Stubbs singing and playing guitar. It it just it wouldn't be Leatherface. I mean, it was hard enough without Dickie for sure, but without Frankie, no. That would be a completely different band. So there you go. Get it? I mean, that's kind of what my point is. So yeah, Danzig trilogy. That was episode two. This is the Empire Strikes Back version of the trilogy you know we ended on a less than hopeful note learning that the reunion shows were basically just a fucking you know result of a lawsuit and now apparently more or less um well which i think most people suspected a massive cash grab as well but it's sad to know that the only reason danzig and jerry actually decided to get along is because danzig was basically fucking forced to get along with him by law so yeah there you go so before we play the 88 Fingers Louis song, uh, their version of Night of the Living Dead, I do have some answers to the questions that I sent to Dan from 88 Fingers Louis, and he answered them while I was recording this podcast, which is super rad. So yeah, I'm stoked. All right, here we go. I asked them where they formed, when, yada, yada. They said, Dan said, pardon me, they formed in 1993 in the suburbs of Chicago, the name verified the Flintstones connection. Yes, 
they named themselves from that character, the little gangster guy from the Flintstones. In Dan's words, when we were discussing band names, we talked about doing something tough like Chicago Gangsters. I believe our drummer came up with that name, which we found hilarious because he's a cartoon character, but still a gangster. At least that's what four dudes in their late teens thought. So next question, I said, hey, so what do you guys have coming up? What's going on tour-wise, you know, release-wise, anything like that? Dan says they have two weekend tours in the Southwest United States during February and March of 2020. After that, we'll see what happens. The next question is, do you guys actually like the Misfits? Do you like them? Dan said, we all grew up loving and listening to the Misfits. I'm not sure why we chose that song exactly, but it's always fun to play and sing the woes and choruses. I don't remember if it was released anywhere else, but it was definitely on that hopelessly devoted to you comp that I mentioned earlier. You know, I asked, why did you guys pick this song? That was his answer. There you go. I asked them also, you know, Dan specifically, what what do you guys think of the Misfits reunion? Dan said, well, when the Misfits reunion first played and in Chicago at Riot Fest, they were playing, 88 Fingers Louie was playing a fest in Mexico City. I think the next time they came through, their bassist Nat went to see them and said it was pretty awesome. And of course, last but not least, the stock I Want to Party with Bob podcast question. Where is your favorite burrito from and what type of burrito? Here is Dan's answer. He says, my favorite place for burritos has been Garcia's for the last 26 years. When I was a meat eater, I would get their carne asada burrito or the combo burrito with both carne asada and chorizo. And that sounds like a major, major case of heartburn. Dan, you're a brave and gnarly man for that. <laughs> like, I could not do that. Dan says, I've been vegetarian for almost eight years. So my go-to is an avocado burrito with refried beans, lettuce, cheese, sour cream, and suizo ranchero, which is covered in melted cheese and a ranchero sauce. Totally the best burritos I've ever had. Hopefully, I'll be having one in about 36 hours. So here comes the 88 Fingers Louie version of Night of the Living Dead. Thank you so much for listening to the I Want to Party with Bob podcast. Always appreciate it. Don't forget, rate, you know, subscribe, review, all the good stuff on your podcast apps for me. If you don't mind, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. Here is 88 Fingers Louie.